0: Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Hi, all, and welcome back to Medicus. My name is Rasa, and today I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to interview the extremely sought-after Rebecca Stritchfield. Rebecca is a registered dietitian nutritionist certified exercise physiologist, well-being coach, author, podcaster, overall rock star. (laughs) Her weight-inclusive body kindness philosophy helps people create a healthy relationship with food and exercise, and she coaches them to make peace with their bodies. So hi, Rebecca, and welcome to the show. I'm so thrilled to be talking to you today.
1: I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So can you
0: briefly introduce yourself to our listeners, kind of touching on your journey into the world of dietetics and how you eventually discovered intuitive eating, health at every size and the like?
1: Sure. So yeah, I probably followed a trajectory of most people who were born female and then sort of indoctrinated by culture. So I started dieting when I was young. At first, it was just kind of like to be healthy, you know? So an exercise too. I remember being nine and like, I could feel my heart beating. And then I realized, oh my gosh, one day it's not going to beat. What does that mean? I was like... <laughs> And so I was like, so, but then it was like, okay, so take care of yourself. So really as young as nine, like self-care was kind of there, Mm -hmm. but so often it was like when you ask yourself, Hey, what do I want to do if I care about my health? often what you're given is extreme views of food, right. of exercise and this and that. So there was kind of growing up, I, you know, we had some food insecurity that limited our access to a variety of fresh and healthy foods. And I can't say I really noticed too much about that. I mean, some nights have been be like, oh, like I'm hungry and there's not that much to eat. And we were fortunate enough to, it might just be a few days and then we get a pay. But I think that's an important thing to know about me. And that is part of my lived experience because there's so much elitism in diet culture too, right? And this expectation is that everything, every bite of food, every decision you make is either going to add to your health or take it away. Mm -hmm. And you are solely responsible for it. And you better have all the money and use all your resources because, you know, you get diabetes, your fault, you know, you get a high blood pressure, your fault. And that could not be further from the truth. And I just think it's, I love the idea of self-empowerment and what is it that I can do? How can my choices matter and make a difference? Mm -hmm. But this idea of this individualism around health when we know that there's social determinants of health and it's multifactorial, it's just, it's kind of deeply rooted in me and in everything I do. And also sometimes people think they don't understand that, you know, restriction and dieting that that's not necessarily class dependent too. you know, anyone could kind of get caught by that bug. And so interesting with me and exercise in the background, I feel like it it was more positive. Like I would watch free uh, videos back in the day. So there was this uh, fitness and Gala Janklowitz And he would be like in, um, oh, Jamaica or Mexico, Oh um, wow. any place where I wasn't going to be in Ohio. And he would just show the beautiful water and work out and fun music. And so it was fun and funny. And so I would work out with him and I felt better after. And so there was this thread, you know, even middle school and high school, I was not an athlete, like I was on the dance team and it was definitely active, but it wasn't like I was a soccer player or anything like that. And
0: And you probably weren't doing it purposefully to like burn calories or, you know, like you were just enjoying... The fact that you were on a dance team.
1: Yeah. I mean, I really was having fun. You know, we didn't have social media, and that is a toxic mirror. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so bad. And I'm really hoping that there's more and more limits placed on what teens and kids have exposure to, because that's what, you know, and I had mentioned, oh, yeah, the typical path, because the average child will try at least one diet by age 10. And parents can have really good intentions to help guide their children. But the things you say and do matter, or you really have to model mindful self-care and flexibility and like, how do you know about nutrition and know about movement without taking it to extremes? And we can't really protect every child from the world, right? But we can give them tools and skills for dealing with the world. Yeah. And so I feel like that's what a lot of my backstory was about was I had Cosmo and fitness, but the messages that it was like, Oh, wait, long, lean legs. That's important. And I'm sitting here at five, three going, Oh, I'm short. And I have these <laughs> stocky legs, you know? And so who taught me to think something negative about my body would be cultural messages, different friend group things. My mom, uh, and I wrote about this on body kindness. So she was on and off diets too. And interestingly, it would be years later, we found she actually had depression and an eating disorder. And when you don't have a doctor, you don't have insurance, you don't have medical care, you don't have a psychiatrist, you don't get that stuff taken care right. of. So It's very layered and we're just trying to get by, pay the bills and experience life. And so I know you'd ask about becoming a dietitian. Truthfully, it really wasn't my first career choice. Although when I was really young, I said I wanted to help people. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm I'm definitely definitely doing that. (laughs) But yeah, like there was, I liked health. I was in college. I like would do, I don't know, I call it weird, but like I would go to the athletic director. Hey, we don't have a free fitness program. And I think the professors will workout. And he's like, write a proposal. So I wrote a proposal budget. And I got certified as a personal trainer through the college. I hired other students. So we would like teach the professors in this gym and like, and we, but we had a community and we would be a workout community. And it was, I hope, right. Mostly positive. People found Mm -hmm. it fun, dancey. And so there was this thread of like, I really like to validate there was some ugly that happened, but it wasn't all bad. You know, it wasn't so black and white or all or nothing. That was all bad. There was a lot of really good foundation stuff, but I did have an issue with food And interestingly, it was when I was in IT and like the dot-com, but I kind of caught that wave late, like a surfer that just missed the crest. And you're just trying to paddle and stand up. I just missed the crest. But then after 9-11, right? I was like, I am not doing what I always wanted to do. I'm behind a computer and I really wanted to interact with people and help people. And that put me into what about nutrition? You always wanted that. And what I ended up doing was working part-time and going to school and just, so I didn't have to pick one or the other. I just kind of shifted gears. I was very patient for anyone who might be considering what's next is just be patient, trust yourself, go with it. You won't believe what you can accomplish if you just kind of listen to yourself and stay patient. But it took me seven years to kind of get through the program. And even starting out, it was, was like 2007 and it was like, okay, weight management because I want to do prevention. And so I was using words, weight management, just coming around to understanding that my mom's chronic dieting was a problem and that there was Mm -hmm. an eating disorder there. And so, but it was like, discovering puzzle pieces or something that I couldn't quite see the picture, but I was getting lots of hints. So then I called it healthy weight management. I was like, I don't want to screw someone up. I literally didn't have the words. And I think there's a reason why I want to tell this story. I bet you that there are listeners that there's something they could feel when they hear me talk, but they just might not have the words to articulate it. Right. And so be patient, sit with it. Right. It started there. And then more and more, I just started to see that I was trying to focus on health behaviors as much as I could. And when it came down to where folks would get stuck, is this sort of like, I'm a good person if I do this, I'm a bad person if I do that. And it was difficult to like check the facts and validate, Hey, listen, I'm training for a marathon, a half marathon. It doesn't matter if I'm slow. Pizza is a pre-fuel for me. It doesn't matter what's on the scale, yeah. you know, but somebody who's a higher weight is just like, no, I need to focus on the weight at all costs. And, yeah. you know, even though you're going to go do some training the next day, that pizza must be bad, you know, cause the number says this. And so we can stay in this like emotional judgmental mind mm-hmm. too often. And we cannot make calm, compassionate, rational self-care choices. And, and so I was watching all this stuff happening. I was seeing what was how we were discovering, you know, issues with my mom and reflecting on her health trajectory, my own trajectory. And I had along that time when I was putting the puzzle pieces together, I I had met another dietitian that ran this place. That's now it no longer exists, but it was Mm -hmm. called green mountain at Fox run. And it was like a mindfulness-based well-being kind of like retreat. Okay. And it was definitely weight neutral, weight inclusive. And Marsha Huddenall, the person who was running it was, you know, she was the first person that says, there's this, you know, health at every size movement and you should check it out. And I read the principles. And I was like, well, that sounds like a lot. I want to help build people's individual strengths and follow their preferences. So I, I really like that. I read intuitive eating by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, and they were just starting to do some training. So this might be between 2007 and 2009. So I jumped on that and I knew right away, I was like, Oh, this is great. It's not what we learn about in dietetic school, but yeah. this is going to be you know, great for me. And it really helps to create a mindset around food and eating. And so it was like, the foundation was building there. I was in a practice, and I was seeing this is kind of what's going well. This is where it's like we're getting stuck. And I was like, "What do I not know? What it? What is the problem?" So I can help my clients better. Not things you hear. Oh, they're just not motivated enough, yeah. or they, you know, they given up. And what really it came down to was getting a lot more experience in things like DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, or ACT, acceptance commitment therapy. IFS is another one I love called Internal Family Systems. And so I would read these books and attend these workshops and conferences and really sort of understand how you take these external, oh, well, here's a bunch of rules we want you to follow and actually relate to the mind and like help people do a positive self-care behavior, Mm -hmm. but it's not just because I read the rules. It's that there's like this missing piece. Right. And so all these other therapies were kind of like, "Mm, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. And essentially one day in my office, I wrote down similar to the thought I had in my own mind years and years ago when I was trying to figure out health, but it had another phrase. And it was like, so what do I do if I care about my health? Right. Remember that was the first part of the question. I was like nine years old. And then it was like, dot, dot, dot but can't ever diet again. Because in my mind, I was like, my clients are at this rock bottom point and every time they feel like they failed or something's wrong, it always went back to the weight, shame, blame, criticisms, you're not good enough, judgments. And so I noodled around that. I was like, if I can help answer that question, focus on my lane, dietitian, exercise physiologist. I did it becoming uh, trauma informed and anxiety informed through the different trainings and mm-hmm. stuff, but I'm not a therapist, right? But how can I have empathy and compassion and help people improve their health behaviors? Mm-hmm. And that is where I ended up landing on creating body kindness, which um, like you mentioned earlier, is the book and the podcast and the philosophy and it incorporates intuitive being for sure. But it also recognizes that as a full human, there are many aspects of how we care for ourselves. And it's not just our choices in that rule list, but are relating to our thoughts and feelings with more compassion and kindness so that we can make positive self-care choices.
0: Yeah, I love that. You know, what you said about the whole rule thing. So, with dietetics, I've battled with my own demons. I've been to a dietitian before. And I just feel like the issue is that it's so prescriptive, even though you're obviously wanting to help people, but it's like that prescription of, oh, you eat this many grains and this many fats and, you know, this many grams of protein, whatever. It's like, these people already have issues with control and (laughs) of compulsive disorders. You know, like
1: you're counting grains of rice. One, two, yeah. You're
0: just giving me another rule book. And I think that's why it's so important, this whole concept of intuitive eating and listening to your body and trying to figure out what's in line with your values and where you want to go, you know, the direction of your life and your health. And I think something that you keep kind of bringing up in your podcast too, is this idea that like. You get to choose your health. The media and doctors will tell you, oh, you are unhealthy because you are this size. Well, if you're fine with being that size and you feel fine, that is your choice to make. You know, it's not anyone else's. No one can tell you what your health is. Mm-hmm. And so full disclosure, I'm a huge fan. And I would love to pick your brain on a million different topics you've covered in both your book and your podcast. But I think in the interest of time and understanding kind of our audience as mostly pre-medical and medical students. Mm-hmm. And I think nutrition is probably second only to teeth in what we don't learn in medical school.
1: Uh, um, <laughs> and you need your teeth to eat. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I would really like to focus on kind of laying the framework to help our listeners become better physicians. And so I know each of these concepts could be their own podcast series, but for Mm -hmm. someone completely unfamiliar, can you kind of define the concepts of intuitive eating and health at every size?
1: Sure. So we all have an attunement and there's actually things that can disrupt our attunement, stress, anxiety, dealing with some mental health issues, being sick, you know, It's just basically what you can sense kind of on in or around your body. So if Mm -hmm. you notice, oh, I have a dry throat and I'm kind of coughing, let me take a lozenge and it will add some moisture. Let me sip some water. That is an example of attunement. Hunger is an attunement. Need to go to the bathroom. So when we think of intuitive eating, right, there's this interoceptive awareness. How do I sense what I need and then meet those needs? And, Mm -hmm. you know, as you can imagine, a very important thing to do. And so what intuitive eating, the philosophy created by Evelyn Tribole and Elise Resch, it is a set of 10 principles and they created them from a standpoint of fighting diet culture, eating disorder recovery. And it's kind of like guideposts mm-hmm. to follow specifically around food. So honor your hunger. So somebody who is dieting or for whatever the reason, like they might feel that attunement of, oh, I'm hungry, but their mental space might be screw it, I'm not eating or you can't. Yeah. You know, you have this in the book, I call them thought bullies, you know. Right. And so they either they have their attunement, but they won't listen to it. Right. And so this idea of, reading honor your hunger, what would it feel like to honor my hunger? What does that mean? You know, it's a biological need for food. And then it sort of has, I don't know if it means to be an opposite, but it just kind of goes with it like a pair of socks, you know, respect your fullness. Right. And so this idea that you'll notice when you're feeling full and comfortably full. And when you notice that that's a signal from your body that you've had enough. And so certainly being pre-med. And if you talk to doctors and residents, you know, right? I work 20 hours a day. And there will be things where you're sipping water because you can't take a pee break and things that the nature of what you're doing is kind of influencing your self-care behaviors. And obviously we find a way to get through, right? But Speaking of as a future doctor who's going to work with patients, think about somebody who has a family history of diabetes. You know their A1C's are looking fine. I would hope that you would do things like ask permission to get a weight check. Definitely ask that they have any kind of trauma history around dieting, eating disorders, and open-ended. Hey, tell me what you're. You know, like what do you do with food? What are your eating patterns like? And with respect, I understand not a lot of time and this and that. So. But my point is, is like, find a way to get some sort of sense of how you can encourage self-care with food and eating and whether that's what you offer as resources or handouts and referrals and this and that, but letting your patients know that this is a listening place and a safe space. I want to hear a little bit from you about you know, what you're doing with food and your satisfaction and this and that. and. I would tell a doctor recommend intuitive eating without reservation because it's going to focus on skills for this person to have a healthy self-care guide rail. There's a fire, the food police one on there and it feels very rebellious, but understand that what people are resisting are these external messages saying you're not good enough and you suck, you know? So I'll kind of leave intuitive eating right there. Like you said, we could be podcasting for days Mm -hmm. on all these topics health at every size, I really would want to send people to the website size diversity and health.org. And that'd be a great show note. It's a set of principles. And it's rooted in a social justice movement that was really brought out by higher weight people. And I'm going to mm-hmm. use the word fat, I don't identify as fat, I'm using it as an ally as a descriptor. And that is also something I recommend that med students explore. But if If you have thin privilege, you might want to explore a little bit about how you do what I just did, which is clarify why you're using the word, because unfortunately in our culture, it still uses a slur. Right. And it's an intersectional social justice movement that really wants, it sounds so strange to say, but like higher weight people to be treated like a full human. Oh, wow. (laughs) Right. Right. And so it talks about this idea about acknowledging that there are systemic issues at play that make it harder for folks to care for themselves and for their health. And that also validating an individual's interests, curiosity, abilities, resources, and that in how you offer that advice. But I will say, and straight up, if you want to go to direct how it impacts medical, I will reference a very important study that created a model to show where healthcare avoidance happens. Mm-hmm. And the healthcare avoidance happens over the level of stress experienced in the healthcare setting. Wow. So you'll say things like, oh, you know, people with obesity are more likely to get cancer and this It's like, hey, are they going to the doctor to get their labs checked? And if they're not going, are they afraid of you? right? Do you need to change, Mm -hmm. right? What is it? Do you have comfortable seating? Do you have inclusive and visibility all around that shows people of all sizes, colors, everything that you could show, right? As being included, welcome, that stuff really matters. How do people know that they belong? And then how do you treat people when you're there? And what that study showed is that some people BMI is higher. That there's a higher amount of shame around the healthcare setting. Some people can build some tolerance to that, right? And so there are certain factors that they could would still go see the doctor. Mm-hmm. But it was the stress over the healthcare encounter, something that doctors can fix, right? Yeah. So that they come and get their labs and have that conversation. And even if it is a short two minute check in. They'll go if they know that it's safe. You're not going to judge or you're not going to hurt them. And that pass through might be referral to the next podcast, the next book, the next Mm -hmm. therapist or group or whatnot that could really help them. But it's like, you're in this place where you could pass the baton you know, Oh, I don't got time to do this deeply with you, but here, here you go. They're really going to trust you. And honestly, word of mouth, they're going to be recommending you and filling up your schedule and all those other good things. And you'll have the, confidence to know I really, truly help someone, you know, without yeah. harming them. So
0: you and I both share a thin privilege. So I bet we don't feel this way, you know, when we walk into the doctor's office, but I can only imagine if you've spent your entire life going through the world and people constantly judging you on your weight, and then you get to the doctor and you just get shamed about the size that you are and are constantly being told that, oh, you should eat less of this and you should exercise more. Mm -hmm. And without a lot of times, honestly, consideration for the type of life that you lead. I mean, a lot of people from higher weights tend to not have a lot of resources. They tend to work long hours. Yeah, I can imagine how that could be so stressful. And I mean, I wouldn't want to go to the doctor if that was the case for me.
1: Well, one of the things that doctors doesn't know, it's one of those buried stats that it's like you're prescribing the diet, the weight suppression, Mm -hmm. Right that actually creates harm so that when the body's like, I can't survive this, I can't do this. There's this weight cycling that happens. So the the person is likely to regain the weight that they temporarily lost, if not more. So really what is the harm? It's what you're recommending as treatment, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of judgment and it's just uncalled for. It's like, the person who needs to do the work is the medical provider to look at privilege, to look at unconscious bias. And there's tests that you can do right now, like as a med student for free. (laughs) Yeah, for free. And you could get books, listen to podcasts, follow higher weight people. I mean, I'm thinking of 300 pounds and running who's just Mm -hmm. on the cover of runner's world magazine. And it's like, what's problematic about a healthy race weight. And he right. just did uh what, Boston or something? I mean, I so. you know, like amazing. And Jessamyn Stanley, I love Jessamyn Stanley and great yoga. And I was with a client earlier who had got a booster shot, wasn't feeling that good and mm-hmm. had a biopsy and was feeling really like, oh, I feel like I should, you know, shooting on herself yeah. about movement. And I pulled up this Jessamine Stanley called Couch Potato Yoga. I was like, let's do this I one, right? And so it's this idea of you can be positive and encouraging. Your pace is the pace. Meet someone where they're at and what you can do. Expand who you follow and listen to, who you see as authoritative. Certainly Sabrina Strings, Fearing the Black Body book, and she was on my podcast. She is a thin woman, a thin black woman, but she has, it's a very thin book but how they cover health and the history of the BMI and how medicine is stigmatizing, that's really helpful. So anyway, I go on and on. The thing that I want to say is the information is out there. You need to consult Dr. Google and and check it out (laughs) and be willing to keep pursuing it. And not only that in classes, Where can you challenge your professors and peers in that? And again, with love, with kindness and whatever shape that takes, I feel like you could use your voice, say something with curiosity and compassion and see it as an opportunity to learn and grow and just push yourself. Why am I going in medicine in the first place? Right. If it really is to help people you know, help the people on the margins. Mm -hmm. If you focus your stuff on the widest need, you're helping everyone who's closer in from those margins.
0: Absolutely. And I think you mentioned this, you know, on the podcast over and over again, and that like this whole diet culture also negatively impacts thin people. Like it's not just, again, as an ally using the word fat, it's not just fat people that get impacted, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it affects everyone. And so I know you just briefly touched on this, but There's a study that you mentioned once or twice in your podcast about the biggest loser and the metabolism stuff that they did for that study. Could you just talk about that study and kind of why diets don't work?
1: Yeah, I will be really quick um, in mentioning that. And basically it was in the Journal of Obesity and it got a big New York Times write up by Sandra Amitt, who was a great Ted talk. I had just spoken with Sandra Amitt or was emailing with her to speak together. So I was like, yeah, this is cool. We were in a room of like 5,000 dietitians about to drop about diets don't work. So I was really excited oh. for that, but it was done on the Biggest Loser contestant six years later. So obviously a small sample size. Mm-hmm. But basically what they found out was there were two things that they saw happening. One was metabolic adaptation. And so what happened was, is as someone lost weight, their metabolism was lower. That mm-hmm. makes sense. But what happened is when people were like, as the years went on, as their weight kind of went back up, say they weren't doing the extreme barf from the bucket, biggest loser stuff anymore, Right. right? And as their weight climbed back up, even like a little bit, they expected the metabolism to incrementally increase. And it didn't, it didn't necessarily go along in like a correlative way and how they would expect. The other thing was leptin resistance. Mm -hmm. And so we got the leptin and ghrelin connection and, you know, leptin's supposed to tell you, Hey, you're full, take a break. And what they found was the cells became resistant to leptin. And uh, this wasn't in this study, but I'm just going to pull it in that there is something else that is going on in the brain. And maybe there's further evidence or names for it. But when I was reading about it, it was called homeostatic drive to eat. Mm -hmm. this was another study on people. It was funded by a diabetes med company. Mm -hmm. And I think they were giving the participants like 1200 calories or something like that, which is like seven-year-old food. Uh, I (laughs) I just can't. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like my seven-year-old, actually she needs more than that. She's a gymnast, but still it's like that is way. But the point is, is despite these people's intentions to be good and to follow it, their brain was literally making them eat, and it literally said, despite all their intentions and efforts to control it, something in the brain, homeostatic drives eat, was forcing them to stop the restriction. So thank you to be life-saving. Thank you, survivor genes, right? right? It's just our culture doesn't really love that. So back to the biggest loser study, this leptin resistance. The cells were just like, no, nah, we don't need you leptin. No, nah, we don't need you leptin. And so it got to the point literally where they had one contestant as example I want to say his name is David I might be getting that wrong but it's in the New York Times piece that I'll link to it was like he couldn't have lunch ever again like his body was so messed up in um Bernie Salazar who is on a good number of my podcasts mm-hmm. he was on the biggest loser he was a winner at-home Winter season five. Mm-hmm. And so this was all coming out. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm about to drop this all on him. And oh I God. just gave him the New York Times piece, but then I had kind of analyzed the study uh-huh. and you could hear us talking. And he's like, he took it, really hard because it's like, wait a minute, you're telling me I was healthier before I got on the show Mm -hmm. than after. And because he had this big depression period, self-blame, isolated himself, regain all his weight from the show. And again, that's why there was this study, what happens to people six years later. And- so many of those content is that they regain weight, they blame themselves, even mm-hmm. though this study is showing these metabolic markers that happen and people who didn't regain as much weight, they would say, I got to work out an hour a day. I got to do this and done it. And listen, I'm all for body autonomy. There have been weeks where I've been able to work out an hour a day and like I got two young kids. Sometimes I don't, most of the time I don't have the time. Sometimes I'm like, I don't want to do that. Right. You, you don't have to organize your life around exercise, but that's the whole point. These people who were able to keep some biggest loser weight off are highly likely weight suppressed, yeah. but Oh, because the scale is more favorable. The BMI charts, more favorable. You're basically saying you have to weigh and measure and judge bite of food every day, the rest of your life. And you better bust your butt at least an hour a day. And you know, there are thin people smoking cigarettes eating McDonald's and not doing that. And it's like, why are we so focused on size? Exactly. No,
0: absolutely. This segues nicely into this next question that I wanted to ask you was, as physicians, we're obviously concerned with the health of the patients and like specifically treating medical conditions. And Mm -hmm. so how do you incorporate something like intuitive eating and health at every size when you're treating metabolic medical conditions like diabetes, hypertension, and other such conditions that have been associated with weight?
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? I think that a real important skill, because you're saying some amount of words anyway, right? Mm -hmm. You might as well make those words full of empathy and validation, right? In the same (laughs) letters, right? And so it might be something like find out from them that they're sedentaries. I can imagine it can be very difficult to start an exercise program. It takes time. It takes money. It's really hard to get started. It's hard until it's easy. Hmm. I wonder if you could start with something from a chair, because you know what? Even my most elderly patient, if they have soup cans or a water bottle and they're starting from a chair and they learn some basic movements. It's about one day at a time. You know, I wonder if something like that is doable for you, or I wonder if you get to a free community pool. So again, if you do your homework with your resources and accessibility and what's available, it's just that empathy. You know, I can imagine this could be difficult with validating reasons, time, Mm -hmm. money, stress, anxiety, and then offer an idea or a solution. And even saying something, you know, what would go miles and miles is if say, you know what, I wish we had better treatment for diabetes. We have certain meds we can try. There are some side effects. There are recommendations that we could have if we can work on sleep and stress a little bit. Uh And I happen to know some things about movement with diabetes and actually even short Movements, 10 minute pacing after dinner, marching in place and at home. That helps your body use up the energy from food that you've eaten and that helps it bring it into your muscles and your liver. That's where we want it, not as much in your blood. And so, even these little steps, but notice how it's like, I wish we had better meds for you. I wish we had an easier problem. I'm not blaming individual doctors here, but in general, medicine doesn't do enough to take care of medicine. Where are we taking ownership uh, but I'll put myself in there as a healthcare provider. Right, mm-hmm. where are we taking ownership of what we can and cannot do? And that would go miles of that empathy, that validation. I wish we had things that were easier and better. And I wonder if this tip could be something that is doable. And it's like if they're willing to tell you the truth, I drink X number of sodas a day. You are not helping by being like, "Well, you don't need to stop that." You know, like they don't know that. Mm-hmm. But take a minute, say, you know what. I can imagine that might be hard if there's something you like the taste of or this and that. You know, some of my patients say they don't really like plain water. I wonder if that's you. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Well, you know what? I wonder if you took, and even if it's one of those sodas a day out and instead, right, start your day with a water. I wonder if we could flavor it with a little bit of citrus, like some Mm. orange or lemon. I wonder if we could find something like that. Maybe there'd be in the sparkling water, and there's lots of brands of that, you know, but just this idea of literally validating that this baby step of, I wonder if we could start with one. And in psychology, what you're doing is you're reducing the activation energy, that amount of energy a person has to put into, I gotta get ready, I gotta get ready. You know, it's like sending a first time swimmer off to the Olympics right away. That's probably not a good idea. And so you would be surprised how far you can get with empathy and validation and in your tone and what you say and how you say it. And just accountability, I wish we had better things. I wish I could write some on this paper and it would fix it right away. We don't in this case, but I'm gonna explain a couple key things that you can do immediately and I'll help with the med piece. And we're gonna check Mm -hmm. in here again soon. So it's possible. It's just, we got to open up our minds and, you know, maybe considering your own healthcare. you go to a doctor now, yeah. try to decline being weighed and why you can print out these little cards about how, why you're going to decline being weighed. If it's medically necessary, you can do that as an ally. Mm-hmm. I refuse if being asked my doctor is so great. They don't even have the traditional, like scary scales with heights or whatever. And it's just like a flat thing, like a silly little bathroom scale. You know, sometimes she doesn't ask. Sometimes she'll be like. Hey, do you know a ballpark, what a weight was? And I could throw it in here, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we can change our approach and things like that. And again, maybe my doctor has a copy of my book. So let's say that my doctor is treats all her patients that way. But that's that point of it is, what would you do for a thin person? Can you do that for somebody, no matter what they wear, right. no matter ha- where they're at in their self-care habits too? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think like something too
0: important, probably that you'd agree with is, When you're having these discussions, kind of what you were mentioning of like that example of sodas, I think it's important to ask permission, right? Do you want to change this habit or is this something that you really want to keep in your life? Like I have the suggestion that this Mm -hmm. might improve your health, Mm -hmm. but do you, are you interested in me offering you these suggestions? You know, because I think a lot of times as doctors, we're kind of just like throwing again, like this prescriptive information and we're not really asking Patients, if this is something that they're interested in doing, right, I think once you get investment from people in their own health, it goes that much farther. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. (laughs) Okay, so I definitely want to touch on your book, because it is amazing. And so for our listeners who don't know, highly recommend immediately go on Amazon or your bookseller or whatever and buy this. But you wrote a beautiful book called Body Kindness, It's like a wonderful workbook that people can just, you know, take their time and work through the different steps. So what inspires you to write this book and what do you hope readers take away from it?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, with that really long opening story, like eventually I was in my office reflecting me, my mom, clients, and just sitting there and yeah, stressed out. I was like, I got to do something. I just wrote down this question. What do I do if I care about health dot, 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 but can't ever diet again? because it felt like this feeling of somebody recognizing that participating in diets were harmful. It's not what you would tell a friend to do. You wouldn't stand on a stage and say, Hey, girl scout, you want to earn your wellness badge? How about we restrict, you know? Yeah. And so, but there's a lot more questions there. And that is eventually kind of like what led to the three pillars of body kindness, love, connect, care, Oh, and by the way, I literally say right in the intro, nobody can tell you what body kindness is or isn't. Not even me, even though I created it, (laughs) but not even me because you get to decide, right? Ultimately autonomy and body autonomy, which I will just say, if you see a suggestion in there, you don't like it, take a marker and just cross it out, rip out the page. I don't care. Not every single thing, you know, whether it came out or it's useful to you or readiness or whatever. I think it's this idea of that's not helpful to me. So, okay, let me flip that or whatever, but you get to be in charge. That's all I want to say is like, I do feel that there's this idea of that. Oh, I'm consuming this book. So these are the set of rules and I want us to get out of that rules mind. Mm -hmm. But what you'll see when you see with these three pillars love connect care with love, it's make choices from a place of love. Right. Mm -hmm. And so at the beginning of every chapter, which is like a different, it's like a different thing. Like this is a food chapter. This is a movement chapter. This is a sleep chapter kind of get this foundation. And then uh, you would allude to like values before. So Mm -hmm. there's like four parts and kind of you build into it to where you start to think about the kind of person you want to be anyway, and how you want to integrate food and movement and self-care into your life. But it's, you know, we start with this foundation where I What I was trying to do in this foundation stuff is if somebody thinks, oh, I got to do intermittent fasting or I need to do keto or whole 30 or things like that. This is what I need to do because this is what it is to be healthy. Mm -hmm. I wanted people to see that when it comes to food, that there are ways to think about nutrition And the other thing that people would react to me when I would talk about not dieting is like, oh, you don't care about health. Then you don't care about vegetables. You don't care about (laughs) and it's like, no, 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 I do. I do listen, listen. And so I had in the food chapter, I would talk about a balanced plate, Mm -hmm. right? And it's basically the USDA balance plate. Here's your veggie. Here's your food. Here's your starch. Here's your protein. But what I did is I showed a lot of different other doodles of what your plate can look like. This is a plate typical if you're out at a restaurant or you're a little bit hungry or, you you know, you don't want as many veggies. Mm -hmm. This is a plate, grandma's mac and cheese, lasagna or whatever. And you know, you want a big portion of that. And then I was like, and there's a plate where it's eat whatever you want Mm because not every meal has to be about nutrition. And so it's like, I want, like I said, there's a part on food and I do recommend veggies and I do, sometimes people read it and be like ah oh, she recommended veggies so I don't like body kind of so I'm just like it's almost like you <sighs> win, you can't win them all right yeah and that's honestly because people are in two different places so I think the thing that I want to get across in this foundation is we have to learn to live in a world where we can care about health. Mm-hmm. And but what's the definition of health that we want to use? Cuz maybe it's not weight centered or maybe it's not about being able bodied all your life or disease free at healthism and stuff. But maybe it's about well-being, right? And so I'll try to get people think about a healthy eating pattern where you're not looking at individual foods as good or bad yeah. but for the people who are afraid but health I need to do this restrictive thing well but what about the healthy eating pattern of a balanced plate as a guide doesn't that get you getting more fiber and vitamins and minerals without saying like, don't touch a mac and cheese, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the book I call dead person's goal. Cause only a dead person will never eat mac and cheese again, but you're alive. If you like it, you got to eat it. Right. Cause <laughs> pleasure is a measure with food. That'd be back to the intuitive eating a little bit there. You'll get satisfied. And there's that camp of like, Oh, if you're not dieting, well, where's the health. Or if you're talking body kindness, what do you mean? Eat cheeseburgers. If you like cheeseburgers, one end can't under grasp that, that there's flexibility in these balanced place and healthy eating patterns. And then there's another side that's like, but I find this confusing because isn't me saying no to diets. It's almost like they're in the very beginning and it's like diets is what made them think that broccoli and plain chicken. And so these foods that actually could be yummy, Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh my God, apples are triggering or almonds are triggering. So if I wrote almonds on the paper and almonds was your number one diet food don't touch almonds right like i just might have picked almonds yeah, and put yeah. a benefit on there and so i say it to really help people understand because especially especially around food and eating it's like when you are stopping diets and opening up to body kindness self care compassion and well being right making choice from a place of love. If you like almonds, that might be having almonds with some chocolate chips. And that sounds like a fun thing to you. If almonds was a diet food thing, that might be just eating a Twinkie, right? And so that's what it goes back to. You get to decide what body kindness is. Those are two possible choices from a place of love. And they're both part of healthy eating patterns. And then just real quick, the connect principle is about connecting to your body attunement, right? And that's yeah. where it embraces intuitive eating and also connecting to others. Cause when we are lucky enough to be able to be social and be at gatherings and this and that, I hope that we're thinking about enjoying the experience, enjoying the people and the conversations yeah. and enjoying food that's there. And right. it might be your favorite, amazing food eat as much as you want, checking with your body. You do you, that food might be nasty. You might be hungry, maybe take a little bit to not be that hungry, but then go home or go through the drive through later and get some because you want to enjoy the food that you're eating. Absolutely. And so it's being able to sit with like both of those things, but how can I connect to my body and meet my body's needs at how can I connect to others and enjoy the experience where food is part of it? It maybe is not a center stage thing for whatever reason. I'm engaged in conversation. I don't really like that food that much. Or for some people, they have social anxiety. So they go to the food and they eat and they eat and eat and they feel they don't even taste it. So again, it depends on what your difficulty is and how you might look at that connect pillar. And then my favorite is the third one. I think it's really the anchor and it's care. And it's fully commit to care for your well-being no matter what. What that really comes through is only you are going to be here for you. You are your own ride or die. And we need people and we'll pull in others and we will, you know, we'll connect like we said. But ultimately, it's not about being perfect. It's about being human. So when you can fully commit to your own well-being you can make a mistake. You could sort of be in that winter funk or whatever it is. Say, Hey, it's okay. I am here. I love you. I Mm -hmm. love you no matter what. I'm going to love you through this bad mood or this exercise avoidance. I'm going to love you through this rough spot. What is it you need right now? What sounds like a hug? And it's that it's like showing up for yourself like you would a friend and we can do it. The second we think of our friend, we know this is what I would do for my friend in this Mm -hmm. problem. This is what I did for my friend in that problem, but it is so hard to do it for ourselves. And that's... That is what you're doing when you're in a practice of body kind of listening to what bothers you, what you think you need and saying, I'm so sorry. I feel you. I'm here for you. What is it that we can do right now that will help? And hopefully that could be sometimes celebrating, like, You made it outside on a beautiful walk on a sunny day. You're like, that felt good. I feel proud of that. And that you can more, I talk about spiral ups in the book, like but validate that. It's like, that was awesome. I want more of that. And you really start to see that these positive self-care choices really lead to a lot more positive emotions. And then it's unstoppable. It's helping with stress, anxiety, your mood. You really, I don't need or want diets because I got a new way to care for myself. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you always think positive thoughts about your body, but you learn the skills. Well, what do I do if I have a negative thought? What do I do with that? And that's another thing that practice of body kindness can do for you.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the most important relationship you have is the one with yourself, right? Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) So because you mentioned it, and I know we're running low on time, but oh, it's just so many questions. I need you to talk about the concept of spiraling up because I just love that idea.
1: Yes. Well, you know, now I see spirals everywhere. Circles and spirals (laughs) are my thing. But I got this from positive psychology researcher, Barbara Fredrickson, Mm -hmm. and she created the broaden and build theory. And it was this idea that we actually can cultivate positive emotions which is amazing to think about because it's a sense of agency. It's a sense of like, and she'll say, even when the shit is going down, I can spiral up, you know, Yes. (laughs) and and it was focused on positive emotions and something called vagal tone, right? Mm -hmm. So from the vagus nerve and as meds, we know that. And it's a great joke when you're talking to people about not Las Vegas, but this type of Vegas and all the fascinating things it does. And the idea of that more positive emotions can improve your vagal tone. And that is associated with much better health outcomes, regardless of weight, by the way. Mm -hmm. And so it's this idea and this broaden and build theory that the more positive emotions you experience, they can build on each other. And one leads to another leads to another. And so that you feel more open and more connected, like that you understand that you're a single person. But there are people you care about, you know, born family, chosen family. Mm-hmm. You've got your people and the post it people. Because if you only had a post it note, the people you really want to put your time and effort into, because we all know those people pleasers will try to make everyone happy. Right, and right. I don't recommend that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this idea of you're open and more connected and that that leads to a more positive well being. And literally, no matter what, even in hard times. And so when I was reading that and setting that, and I was sitting there, and, I'll never forget where I was in a coffee shop at where I had got my nutrition degree, but it was, you know, years later here, I'm mm-hmm. kind of working out this idea. And I was like, I wonder if, I'd say, wake up on the wrong side of the bed. And I was like, ah, when mm-hmm. I wake up cranky and I wonder if, if I wake up in an off mood, if I were to make one positive self-care choice, mm-hmm. would that make a difference in my mood? So even if my mood stunk and I'm like, eh, I'm not gonna do anything, you know, and then yeah. like take a drink of water. And so almost like in DBT, we call opposite action. And so this question was, even if I felt a negative emotion, could I make a positive self-care choice? And could that lead to a positive emotion? So I kind of took that theory just on positive emotions and intersected the idea of health behaviors and like anything that you choose you want to do in that moment. And what I found was that yes, that basically that they both had an impact on each other. And so it's that idea of that you could wake up and you could be dreading the day, but think of one good thing that you were going to be focused on. It's like what's one positive self-care thing? I will get my breakfast, I will pack my water bottle, I will bring my snacks today but some intention that you can commit to and do and validate that that is going to be good enough and that that self-care choice can boost your mood, especially if it's like someone's like, oh, I'm busy, you know, uh bagel. Oh, I really shouldn't. The carbs It's like, oh, what's my reframe? I need energy, right? Yeah. You know, it's going to taste good to me, mm-hmm. you know, and this is going to be energy to get through that next thing. It's like, we can resist what is something that was an ingrained diet culture message? Right. You know, to bring it back to, I like the taste of it. I'm enjoying it. It's going to be quick. And hey, great if with that bagel you put it, some yummy cream cheese on it that tastes good. And do you pair it with a piece of fruit that you also like? That's awesome. And so that no matter how small that choice is and no matter what your mood is, that you could say, okay, I noticed this mood. What would be something positive that I could do for myself right now? And to notice how those positive choices improve your mood Mm -hmm. and your optimism, that spiral up feeling. And we all know that feeling of kind of like, oh, it's going down and I'm feeling, I'll get in my chest. So I'm feeling tight here. And so instead of saying I can't spiral down, it's noticing that and say, oh hey, it's okay. What is one thing that I need right now to maybe neutralize this? Mm -hmm. And I feel that anxiety wave coming, that tightness in the chest. I'm not like, you know what I really need? I really need an apple right now. You know, <laughs> apples are great, but I probably need 3D breaths right now, right. you know, to just fill it and be it and let that energy flow and say, all right, we got this. Now what? And then maybe mm-hmm. something else comes along, but that's the thing. It's how that choice can pivot to based on what you feel, or even if you're feeling something that kind of feels, but it's like, that's okay, right? That inner caregiver, that's Okay. This is what I want to do from a place of love. How do we make this pleasurable, enjoyable, fun? And, you know, if we're dreading bagels, calling them car bombs. We're probably not right. looking forward to that. You know, thinking skipping breakfast is better, but if pleasure is a measure, I'm going to taste and enjoy it and savor it, make it the way I want. That feels like a hug and to give you energy to go into the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And you start to see in your own experience that it's a much better way to live and mm-hmm. be in the world. You're your own caregiver and you're connecting to yourself, and you really start to see that, life is an adventure. No matter what comes up with the mindset of I can handle it. You know, I might not like the situation I'm in right now, or this might be a stressful time, stressful month, three months, six months. I can't handle it. What is it that I need? Was my body kindness going to look like for me? And I hope it would be something that could be flexible. If you're used to getting more exercise and you just don't have the time reducing that, not feeling like, Oh, you've just ruined it for yourself. You mm-hmm. will increase it when you have more time. But right now your body kindness is more like some yoga, some meditation or shorter workouts because you care about this other thing that's taking up more of your time. So it should be able to go with you throughout your life. And like I said, you know, the subtitle of the book is never say diet again. Mm -hmm. My guarantee is you will never need another shaming, oppressive diet. If you learn the skills of being kind and compassionate with yourself. I love that.
0: So again, I don't want to take up too much of your time. So any Last parting words of advice for future physicians regarding weight inclusivity, body kindness, and the like.
1: I get this phrase from the work that I'm doing in anti-racism and it's be humble and ready to fumble. And so I love that idea that be humble and ready to fumble, learn and grow, explore You don't have to have all the answers. This is not your bio test or whatever. Mm. (laughs) But really see yourself as integral to being part of a system that can do better Mm -hmm. and can change. And I definitely fully believe that it's the listeners, the people who are coming up that are going to do the healing and the saving here. So maybe the people who are doctors now are taking it as far as they can, but it is you, you have the power, you are coming up. So what can you do? Be humble, be ready to fumble, learn and grow and just stay committed. And you'll work it out and figure it out. And your experience is not the experience. Mm-hmm. So you can ask anyone for permission. Can I ask you more about what your experience has been like? It's somebody who's out there, given books and podcasts and interviews and this and that you get a chance to learn from other people's experience. If there's people that, you know, that you feel like, I wonder if I could ask more about what it feels like to have a diabetes diagnosis and what their experience at the doctor is like. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure that what you'll find is that there's a lot of opportunities to change. And that's all we could ever ask for is be part of the change. Thank you. So
0: lastly, where can our listeners go to access your content and support your body kindness movement?
1: Go to bodykindnessbook.com and there's like a free beginner e-course and stuff that I do for folks there and my podcasts and socials and all that. But I I would love to connect and you can send me an email and ask me even more questions. And I am not fragile in so far as ask me something hard and I will give you an Mm -hmm. honest answer and some resources back and this and that. So I fully appreciate people who want to engage with me because again, they're wanting to, um, they're open and they're curious. So I also welcome that.
0: I love that. Thank you again so much for making time for this podcast, Rebecca. Really enjoyed our conversation and can't wait to share it
1: with the world. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't
0: be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com where you can additionally find show notes, links and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcasts on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, please submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relation is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Views and opinions are their own and do not represent any organization.